Section 30 of The Notebooks of Samuel Butler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Notebooks of Samuel Butler. Edited by Henry Festing Jones. 23. Death. Foreknowledge of Death. No one thinks he will escape death, so there is no disappointment, and, as long as we know neither the when nor the how, the mere fact that we shall one day have to go does not much affect us. We do not care, even though we know vaguely that we have not long to live. The serious trouble begins when death becomes definite in time and shape. It is in precise foreknowledge, rather than in sin, that the sting of death is to be found and such foreknowledge is generally withheld, though strangely enough many would have it if they could. Continued Identity I do not doubt that a person who will grow out of me as I now am, but of whom I know nothing now, and in whom, therefore, I can take none but the vaguest interest, will one day undergo so sudden and complete a change that his friends must notice it and call him dead. But as I have no definite ideas concerning this person, not knowing whether he will be a man of fifty-nine or seventy-nine, or any age between these two, so this person will, I am sure, have forgotten the very existence of me as I am at this present moment. If it is said that no matter how wide a difference of condition may exist between myself now and myself at the moment of death, or how complete the forgetfulness of connection on either side may be, Yet the fact of the ones having grown out of the other, by an infinite series of gradations, makes the second personally identical with the first. Then I say that the difference between the corpse and the till recently living body is not great enough, either in respect of material change or of want of memory concerning the earlier existence, to bar personal identity and prevent us from seeing the corpse as alive and a continuation of the man from whom it was developed though having tastes and other characteristics very different from those it had while it was a man. From this point of view, there is no such thing as death. I mean, no such thing as the death which we have commonly conceived of hitherto. A man is much more alive when he is what we call alive, but no matter how much he is alive, he is still in part dead. And no matter how much he is dead, he is still in part alive. And his corpsehood, is connected with his living bodyhood by gradations which even at the moment of death are ordinarily subtle, and the corpse does not forget the living body more completely than the living body has forgotten a thousand or a hundred thousand of its own previous states, so that we should see the corpse as a person, of greatly and abruptly changed habits, it is true, but still habits of some sort, for hair and nails continue to grow after death, and with an individuality which is as much identical with that of the person from whom it has arisen as this person was with himself as an embryo of a week old, or indeed more so. If we have identity between the embryo and the octogenarian, we must have it also between the octogenarian and the corpse, and do away with death except as a rather striking change of thought and habit, greater indeed in degree than but still in kind substantially the same as any of the changes which we have experienced from moment to moment throughout that fragment of existence which we commonly call our life. So that in sober seriousness there is no such thing as absolute death, just as there is no such thing as absolute life. 
either this or we must keep death at the expense of personal identity and deny identity between any two states which present considerable differences and neither of which has any foreknowledge of or recollection of the other in this case if there be death at all it is someone else who dies and not we because while we are alive we are not dead and as soon as we are dead we are no longer ourselves so that it comes in the end to this that either there is no such thing as death at all or else that if there is it is someone else who dies and not we we cannot blow hot and cold with the same breath if we would retain personal identity at all we must continue it beyond what we call death in which case death ceases to be what we have hitherto thought it that is to say the end of our being we cannot have both personal identity and death too complete death to die completely a person must not only forget but be forgotten and he who is not forgotten is not dead this is as old as non omnis moriar and a great deal older but very few people realize it life and death when i was young i used to think the only certain thing about life was that i should one day die now i think the only certain thing about life is that there is no such thing as death the defeat of death there is nothing which at once affects a man so much and so little as his own death it is a case in which the going to happenness of a thing is of greater importance than the actual thing itself which cannot be of importance to the man who dies for death cuts his own throat in the matter of hurting people as a bee that can sting once but in the stinging dies so death is dead to him who is dead already while he is shaking his wings there is brutum fulmen but the man goes on living frightened perhaps but unhurt pain and sickness may hurt him but the moment death strikes him both he and death are beyond feeling it is as though death were born anew with every man the two protect one another so long as they keep one another at arm's length but if they once embrace it is all over with both the torture of death the fabled pains of tantalus sisyphus and all the rest of them show what an instinctive longing there is in all men both for end and endlessness of both good and ill but as torture they are the merest mockery when compared with the fruitless chase to which poor death has been condemned for ever and ever does it not seem as though he too must have committed some crime for which his sentence is to be forever grasping after that which becomes non-existent the moment he grasps it but then i suppose it would be with him as with the rest of the tortured he must either die himself which he has not done or become used to it and enjoy the frightening as much as the killing any pain through which a man can live at all becomes unfelt as soon as it becomes habitual pain consists not in that which is now endured but in the strong memory of something better that is still recent and so happiness lies in the memory of a recent worse and the expectation of a better that is to come soon ignorance of death one the fear of death is instinctive because in so many past generations we have feared it but how did we come to know what death is so that we should fear it the answer is that we do not know what death is and that this is why we fear it two if a man know not life which he hath seen how shall he know death which he hath not seen three if a man has sent his teeth and his hair 
and perhaps two or three limbs to the grave before him the presumption should be that as he knows nothing further of these when they have once left him so will he know nothing of the rest of him when it too is dead the whole may surely be argued from the parts four to write about death is to write about that of which we have had little practical experience we can write about conscious life but we have no consciousness of the deaths we daily die besides we cannot eat our cake and have it we cannot have tabulae race and tabulae scriptae at the same time we cannot be at once dead enough to be reasonably registered as such and alive enough to be able to tell people all about it five there will come a supreme moment in which there will be care neither for ourselves nor for others but a complete abandon a sans souci of unspeakable indifference and this moment will never be taken from us time cannot rob us of it but as far as we are concerned it will last for ever and ever without flying so that even for the most wretched and most guilty there is a heaven at last where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal to himself every one is an immortal he may know that he is going to die but he can never know that he is dead six if life is an illusion then so is death the greatest of all illusions if life must not be taken too seriously then so neither must death seven the dead are often just as living to us as the living are only we cannot get them to believe it they can come to us but till we die we cannot go to them to be dead is to be unable to understand that one is alive dissolution death is the dissolving of a partnership the partners to which survive and go elsewhere it is the corruption or breaking up of that society which we have called ourself the corporation is at an end both its soul and its body cease as a whole but the immortal constituents do not cease and never will the souls of some men transmigrate in great part into their children but there is a large alloy in respect both of body and mind through sexual generation the souls of other men migrate into books pictures music or what not and everyone's mind migrates somewhere whether remembered and admired or the reverse the living souls of handel shakespeare rembrandt giovanni bellini and the other great ones appear and speak to us in their works with less alloy than they could ever speak through their children but men's bodies disappear absolutely on death except they be in some measure preserved in their children and in so far as harmonics of all that has been remain on death we do not lose life we only lose individuality we live henceforth in others not in ourselves our mistake has been in not seeing that death is indeed like birth a salient feature in the history of the individual but one which wants exploding as the end of the individual no less than birth wanted exploding as his beginning dying is only a mode of forgetting we shall see this more easily if we consider forgetting to be a mode of dying so the ancients called their river of death lethe the river of forgetfulness they ought also to have called their river of life nemosine the river of memory we should learn to tune death a good deal flatter than according to received notions the dislike of death we cannot like both life and death at once no one can be expected to like two such opposite things at the same time if we like life we must dislike death and if we leave off disliking death 
we shall soon die. Death will always be more avoided than sought, for living involves effort, perceived or unperceived, central or departmental, and this will only be made by those who dislike the consequences of not making it more than the trouble of making it. A race, therefore, which is to exist at all, must be a death-disliking race, for it is only at the cost of death that we can rid ourselves of all aversion to the idea of dying, so that the hunt after a philosophy which shall strip death of his terrors is like trying to find the philosopher's stone, which cannot be found, and which, if found, would defeat its own object. Moreover, as a discovery which should rid us of the fear of death would be the vainest, so also it would be the most immoral of discoveries, for the very essence of morality is involved in the dislike, within reasonable limits, of death. Morality aims at a maximum of comfortable life, and a minimum of death. If then, a minimum of death and a maximum of life were no longer held worth striving for, the whole fabric of morality would collapse, as indeed we have it on record that it is apt to do among classes that, from one cause or another, have come to live in disregard and expectation of death. However much we may abuse death for robbing us of our friends, and there is no one who is not sooner or later hit hard in this respect, yet time heals those wounds sooner than we like to own. If the heyday of grief does not shortly kill outright, it passes, and I doubt whether most men, if they were to search their hearts, would not find that could they command death for some single occasion, they would be more likely bid him take than restore. Moreover, death does not blight love as the accidents of time and life do. Even the fondest grow apart if parted. They cannot come together again, not in any closeness or for any long time. Can death do worse than this? The memory of a love that has been cut short by death remains still fragrant, though enfeebled but no recollection of its past can keep sweet a love that is dried up and withered through accidents of time and life. End of section 30. Recording by Colleen McMahon.